Brought to you by PrayLatin.com, makers of prayer cards featuring complete English phonetic renderings of Latin pronunciations. Vigano had been quiet for some time. His um, video option that he had been doing lately was done away with on this platform. I'm sure you're not surprised by that. I wasn't when it happened either. But he is back with a letter, and he's providing us some leadership on the spiritual level for Advent, because Advent is an important time of year. It's not just the shopping season before Christmas. That's what it's become for many Catholics, and that's worldly thinking. It's time for us to really be serious. I think Vigano understands that Advent provides us an opportunity to do important things for the Church in the season of Advent. So without further ado, Archbishop Vigano and his meditation for the season of Advent. Come, therefore, Lord Jesus, seek thy servant, seek thy weary sheep. Those are the words of St. Ambrose of Milan. The sacred time of Advent is of ancient institution, and we find mention of it from around the 5th century as a moment of the liturgical year destined for the preparation of the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, secundum canum. Indeed, Advent marks the beginning of the liturgical year, allowing us to seize this opportunity to follow, with holy resolutions, the voice of the Church. The discipline of penance and fasting during Lent in preparation for Easter is certainly of apostolic origin, whereas that in expectatione dominici comes after and inspired by the former, being less rigid with the passage of centuries to only abstinence on certain days of the week. It is true that St. Peter Damien in the 11th century still supposes that the fast of Advent was of 40 days, and that St. Louis, two centuries later, later, continued to observe it in this matter. But perhaps this holy king practiced it in his way out of a transport of particular devotion. The softness of modern generations has induced the maternal wisdom of the Church to mitigate the rigorous disciplines of former times, without preventing them from being practiced voluntarily. But maybe the present situation leads us to consider as opportune, precisely because they are not imposed, the provisions practiced by our ancestors in obedience of an ecclesiastical precept. The liturgy of the Advent season is indebted to the labors of St. Gregory the Great, not only for the text of the office and the mass, but also for the planchette compositions. The ancient trope Sanctissimus Namque, which introduces the introit Ad te lavavi of the first Sunday of Advent recalls the inspiration of the Holy Pontiff by the Holy Ghost, who appeared in the form of a dove. Initially consisting of six weeks and then five, the weeks of preparation for the Holy Nativity were reduced to four between the end of the ninth century and the beginning of the tenth, which means the current use is at least a thousand years old. The Ambrosian Church still maintains six weeks, or a total of forty-four days, modeled after Lent. Amongst the first authors of homilies on the subject of Advent, we find St. Ambrose, a great teacher and father of the Church. It is with a prayer that we find in the commentary on Psalm 118 that I would like to begin this meditation. The incipit of the prayer is quade inquam serve tuum. As you yourselves can see, the entire text is punctuated with quotations from the sacred scripture, not in order to show off a biblical expertise which the holy bishop of Milan certainly possessed, but because of that understanding of the word of God which is the fruit of an intimate and vital assiduity for the soul, just as air is indispensable for breathing. 
This led St. Ambrose to speak and write himself using the words of the sacred author, not with an intent to plagiarize divine wisdom, but because he had made them so much his own and repeated them, in turn, almost unaware. When we approach the writings of the saints, we can in some way feel disoriented or confused, like laymen. But if we have the grace to unite ourselves to the, to the liturgical prayer by attending Holy Mass and with the recitation of the divine office in the traditional form, we find that it is the voice of the Church herself that accompanies us in this meditation on the Scriptures, right from the Inventory of uh, Matins, and this is true also for the Advent Liturgy, Regium Veturum Dominum, Venite Araremus, the singing of the first prayer intoned in the middle of the night in anticipation of the rising of the true unconquered sun. Following this solemn invitation to adore the divine king is the beginning of the book of the prophet Isaiah, ringing forth as a severe rebuke to his people. Hear ye, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have brought up children and exalted them, but they have despised me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel hath not known me, and my people hath not understood. Woe to the sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a wicked seed, ungracious children. They have forsaken the Lord. They have blasphemed the Holy One of Israel. They are gone away backwards. For what shall I strike you any more, you that increase transgression? The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is sad. From the sole of the foot unto the top of the head, there is no soundness therein. Wounds and bruises and swelling sores. They are not bound up, nor dressed, nor fomented with oil. See Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 to 6. The prophet's revelation shows the Lord's indignation at the unfaithfulness of his people, obstinate in the rebellion against his holy law. But the literal or historical sense of Isaiah's passage concerning our elder brothers is accompanied by the moral sense, that is, concerning what we must do. It is therefore to us that the majesty of God turns. For the Lord hath spoken, once again to admonish us, to show us our betrayals, to spur us to conversion. Thus, while we ask the Lord to deliver us de ore leones et de profundo lacu, we realize how little we deserve God's mercy, how unworthy of his pity, and how deserving we are of his punishments. Deus que culpa ofendades potentia placatis. Our selling out, as scripture calls them, into which our older brothers fell, are now joined by new and far worse acts like them, not a people to whom the Redeemer was promised, but a people which was born of his side, the mystical body of the Redeemer himself, or rather of that ilk who call themselves Catholics, who but by their unfaithfulness dishonor the bride of the Lamb, as members both of the learning and teaching church. The new Israel has shown itself no less rebellious than the old, and the new Roman Sanhedrin is no less guilty than those who made the golden calf and offered it for the adoration of our elder brothers. If therefore the prophet threatens terrible scourges upon those who disobeyed the Lord without having seen the coming Messiah, how much greater must be the words of a prophet of the end times in light of the rebellion of humanity redeemed by the blood of that divine Messiah? having been able to see the fulfillment of the prophecies and the incarnation of the second person of the Most Holy Trinity. In the dramatic crisis that now for sixty years afflicts the Church of Christ, and which today is showing itself in all its gravity, uh, Pusulius Grex, Little Flock, asks their Lord to save humanity that has gone astray, when corruption and apostasy have penetrated even the sacred enclosure and unto the highest throne. As it is little, because the majority of those who have been regenerated in baptism and have thus deserved to be called sons of God daily, deny the promises of baptism under the leadership of hirelings and false shepherds. 
Think of how many believers raised in absolute ignorance of the fundamentals of the faith, despite having attended catechism, are steeped in heretical philosophical and theological doctrines, convinced that all competing ways of knowing God are equivalent, that man is not wounded by original sin, but naturally good, that the state must ignore the true religion and tolerate error, that the mission of the church is not the eternal salvation of souls and their conversion to Christ, but the protection of all things green and the indiscriminate welcoming of outsiders. Think of those who, even though they fulfill their Sunday obligation, do not know that the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord are contained in the Holy Host, and think it is only a symbol. Think of those who are convinced that repenting to themselves is sufficient to approach communion without calling to mind the torments that hang over those who receive the Lord's body and blood unworthily. Think of how many priests, how many professed religious, all the sisters and monks who believe that the council had brought a breath of renewal in the church, or fostered a knowledge of sacred scripture, or enabled the laity to understand the liturgy, hitherto ignored by the masses and jealously guarded by a caste of rigid and intolerable ecclesiastics. Think of those who saw in it an indestructible beacon against the darkness of the world, concrete and impregnable fortress in the face of the assault of the modern mentality of widespread immorality, or the defense of life from its conception to its natural end. Finally, think of the irrepressible satisfaction of the enemies of Christ to see the prostration of his church before the world, with ideologies of death, the idolatry of the state, of power, of money, of the myths of, of, of false chemistry, a church willing to deny her glorious heritage, to adulterate the faith and morals taught, by her to, taught to her by our Lord, to corrupt her liturgy to please heretics and sectarians. Not even the most delirious ravings of the worst stonecutter could have hoped to see the fulfillment of Voltaire's cry crushed the loathsome thing. In Advent, we find ourselves symbolically at the gates of the temple, like Ash Wednesday and Lent, and watch from afar what happens at the altar. Here is the birth of the King of Israel, and there his passion, death, and resurrection. Let us imagine that we have to make an examination of conscience before we can be admitted to the holy place, as individual believers and as part of the ecclesiastical body. We can only come close to worshiping the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, if we understand, on the one hand, the infinite good that is offered to us in swaddling clothes in the manger, and on the other hand, our absolute unworthiness, which must necessarily be accompanied by the horror of our sins, the pain of having infinitely offended God, and the desire to make reparation for the evil done through penance and good works. And we must also understand that as living members of the Church, we also have a collective responsibility for the faults of the other faithful, and our pastors, and, our, and as citizens we have responsibility for the public faults of the nations. For the communion of the saints enables us to share with the purifying souls and the merits of those of the blessed souls in heaven in order to balance in an incomparably more effective way than that communion of the wicked, which makes the effects of the evil deeds fall upon their neighbor, particularly upon other people who are enemies of God. Come to me, those who are tormented by the attack of dangerous wolves, St. Ambrose exclaims. Come to me, those who have been driven out of paradise, and whose sores have long since been penetrated by the serpent's venom, those who have wandered far from thy flocks in those mountains. We are beginning to realize that we are being besieged by ravenous wolves, by those who sow error, by those who corrupt morals, by those who propagate death and despair, by those who want to kill us in our souls, and even before they kill us in our bodies. We come to understand how shallow and foolish and proud we have been to allow ourselves to be deceived by the false promises of the world, of the flesh, and of the devil. How untrue were the words of those who, since the expulsion of our first parents, continue to repeat the same temptations, to exploit our weaknesses, 
to exploit our pride and our vices in order to bring us down and drag us with them to hell. We have forgotten that we have been cast out of the earthly paradise, that we bear the marks of the venomous sting of the serpent, that we have sinned by abandoning the secure pasture of the faith, to let ourselves be seduced by the world, by the flesh, and by the devil. For if we were to live consciously of our primordial sin, which is also a collective and hereditary guilt, and of all the guilt we commit and that we are allow, if we were to meditate on our inability to save ourselves except through the supernatural help that God grants us through grace, if we would not persuade ourselves that many of our actions are grave offenses against the majesty of God, and that we would deserve to be wiped off the face of the earth in a way far worse than what happened, to the inhabitants of those cities that Lot witnessed, then we would not even need the good shepherd to come looking for us, to abandon the ninety-nine sheep safely in the mountain where ravenous wolves cannot attack them. The saintly bishop Ambrose adds, Come without dogs, come without evildoers, come without the hireling who does not know how to pass through the door, come without a helper, without a messenger, because the dogs, the evildoers, and the hireling are transient figures, destined to perish, to disperse the breath that brings forth from God's mouth, even if at this moment it seems that the world belongs to them. Come then and seek your sheep, not by the servants, not by hirelings, but by you in person. The unfaithful servants invite us to be resilient and inclusive, to listen to, to the cry of creation, to subject ourselves to the evils that the world are pushing at the present situation, that can't be mentioned here. The hireling cujus non sunt oves proprea, scatters us, abandons us, does not drive away the ferocious wolves, and does not punish the wicked, but rather encourages them. Why then should the Lord come? Why can we ask, come thou in person? St. Ambrose answers in prayer by quoting the psalmist, For I have not forgotten thy commandments. See Psalm 118, verse 176. Our obedience to God's will finds perfect correspondence and a divine example, in the obedience of the eternal Son of the Father from all eternity, accepting to incarnate himself, suffer and die for our salvation. Then said I, Behold, I come, in the head of the book it is written of me, that I should do thy will, O God. See to the letter to the Hebrews chapter, uh, verse, chapter 10, verse 7. The Lord comes in obedience to the Father, and we must await his coming by being obedient to the will of the Holy Trinity, for I have not forgotten thy commandments. The reason why we can be sure that the Lord will come after us, delivering us from the onslaught of wolves and the nefarious influence of evildoers and hirelings, is that we must not forget what he has commanded. We must not take his place by deciding what is good and what is evil. We must not follow the multitude into the abyss for human respect or because of cowardice or complicity, but remain like ninety-nine sheep in the secure pastures of the Holy Church, for the ravenous wolves cannot attack them as long as they are on the mountains, closer to God by being detached from earthly things. In addition, we must exercise holy humility, recognizing ourselves as sinners. Come and seek out the one sheep that has erred, for thou alone art able to turn back the errant sheep, and you will not grieve those from whom you have strayed. That is, the Catholics of all times, who have remained faithful, safe from the wolves in the high pastures, and they too will rejoice at the return of the sinner. The prayer of St. Ambrose continues with a very profound and meaningful expression. Receive me in the flesh that fell in Adam. Receive me, not from Sarah, but from Mary, so that I may not be only a virgin untouched, but a virgin preserved through the effect of grace from every stain of sin. In Holy Mary, Sancta Virgo Virginum, we find the mediatrix of all graces, 
and her most pure creature is incarnated the eternal word of God. From her the Savior is born to the world. Through her we are presented to her divine Son, and by his merits we may be received in the flesh that fell in Adam, by virtue of the grace that restores us in friendship with God, a most fitting inspiration for meditation as we prepare ourselves for the Holy Nativity. But there is another very important consideration that St. Ambrose leaves at the end of his oration. Bring me the cross that gives salvation to the wanderers, in which alone there is rest for the weary, in which alone shall all who live die. Everything resolves around the cross of Christ. It, it rises in time and eternity as a sign of contradiction, by which we remember that it is an instrument of redemption, salvation for the wandering, rest for the weary, life for those who are dying. A 14th century miniature by Pacino della Bonduquata presents a very rare and highly symbolic image. The Lord climbing up the cross with a ladder, the scala virtutum, to emphasize the willingness of his sacrifice and the paradox of his dual nature. In 17th century iconography, we find a recurring image of the child Jesus sleeping on the cross, an explicit allusion to divine love and the sacrifice of Christ. Christmas and Easter are intrinsically linked. Thus, in preparation for the birth of the Savior, we must always contemplate the centrality and veritable fulcrum of the cross, on which rests the child Jesus and on which ascends, by way of a mystical ladder, the Immaculate Lamb. It is there that we also have to arrive, because it is only on the cross that we find salvation, in pursuit of the Lord. And he said to all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily, and follow me. Veni ut facies salutem in teres in choilo guadam. Come and accomplish salvation on earth, joy in heaven. Let this be our invocation during the sacred time of Lent to prepare ourselves spiritually for the trials that await us. Signed, Carlo Maria Viganò, Archbishop, on the 28th of November, 2021. I hope you found this interesting. He here explicitly linked the state of the church that we are being betrayed and surrounded by ravenous wolves within the church of our Lord. He connects that to the state of the world and to Advent. It is, it is a fitting time of year for us to take on penances for others. Yes, it's a very Catholic thing to do, even if in a, according to our modern sensibilities it makes no sense. But it is a fitting time to take on penances, to do things to restore order and faith in the church. So I invite you to do that. Hope, I hope that you will follow Archbishop Vigano's um, call to arms here on that. As for if you would like to read this for yourself, I have a link to it in my show notes at returntotradition.org. That's the name of this podcast with a .org at the end. You will It can be found on the Catholic Family News website, but I have a link to it directly in my show notes today. Um, let me know what you thought about this in the comments, please. Um, and please pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.